Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Incredibles 2 in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. It's finally here, 14 long years of waiting, and we finally have a sequel to Pixar's The Incredibles. Uh, the original came out back in 2004, it was a huge hit, it won Best Animated Feature that year, uh, and it was just, I mean, it was even bigger than that. It, it was nominated for Original Screenplay, it won Best Sound Editing, and was nominated for Sound Mixing. Uh, which is pretty impressive for an animated film, uh, which just goes to show how in love, uh, not just the Academy, but the public, everybody really was with this movie and and on board with it they were. You know, this was well before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We hadn't had Batman Begins yet. Uh, it, it was just, it was a completely different landscape for that film to come out in. So... It strike at a it struck at a perfect moment in time, and uh, we've kind of been waiting for a sequel ever since. The ending of The Incredibles uh, introduced us to the Underminer uh, in a final frame, uh, right after Dash finally gets to compete in a race at school and, and play sports. But at, from that point on, uh, you know the rest we didn't know. We we didn't know if there ever even was going to be a sequel. Uh, Brad Bird, who directed both the original and the sequel, uh, had said and has said multiple times between the first one coming out and the release of the sequel, or at least the uh, announcement that the sequel was coming out, uh, that he had he was working on ideas. He was trying to come together with with what was happening and, and trying to piece together what an incredible sequel would really be. And now it's out. We we finally have it. It uh, you know it, it it picks up right where the first one left off. No time has passed since uh, the end of the first movie, and that's an interesting decision to make for for a movie like this because so many superhero movies have come out in the last fourteen years. We've got you know eighteen some. Marvel movies, we've got, you know, half a dozen DC movies, uh, and and that's just the tip of the iceberg. X-Men, Deadpool, Fantastic Four, uh, Spider-Man, everything has been just continuously come out over these last 14 years because everyone loves superheroes. We, we, we are so on board for everything that they can possibly do and, and bring to us and tell us and, and teach us, and there's... There's definitely a sense that the family, the incredible family, is sort of dated at this point. You know, we, we've already gone through, you know, the harrowing trauma that was uh, The Dark Knight. And we've watched as Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man has evolved over the last 10 years. 10 years it's been. You know, we saw Infinity War earlier this year, which was the culmination of 10 years worth of Marvel movies. And Incredibles 2 uh, isn't really trying, uh, it doesn't, at least on the surface, it doesn't feel like it's trying to, to really compete with that sort of a thing. It's a completely different 
direction and perception of what superheroes are and what they can be. You know, we've seen the first movie was was hinged on the this idea of family, and you know that's a very uh, Pixar trope uh, that we've seen quite a, quite a few times, and. Incredibles did it really, really well. You know, the the key dilemma in that film was uh, this this difference and and uh, sort of sort of um, contrast between uh, Craig T. Nelson, who voices Bob Parr, Mister Incredible, who wants to take care of his family, wants to provide for them, wants them all to be happy and safe, and uh, above all, though, wants them to not have to hide who they are. And, you know, both of his kids, two or two of his three kids, uh, as of the first Incredibles movie, had powers. Uh, Violet can turn invisible, she can create force fields, Dash can run with super speed. And, you know, the, the he wants them to be able to have what he had when he was in his prime, and which is where a lot of the, the sort of tension can be kind of driven, uh, is he wants to go back to that time too. He misses uh, the, the old days, the good old days. And so in the first movie, he goes off, he is enlisted for help to take care of a science project gone awry, and after successfully completing that, mission uh even way out of shape and not and, and many years removed from his superheroing days uh he's successful and he takes care of this weird animatron uh, uh you know sort of robot thing happy and all of a sudden everything starts to change you know he's working out he's in better shape he's happier he uh seems to be having a much better relationship at home with his family with his kids uh but at the same time, he's become a little more distant. He isn't spending as much time with them. You know, he's he's consumed by this desire for uh, to to be back in the limelight, as it were. And so, at the end of the first movie, we sort of culminate with uh, his wife Helen, voiced by Holly Hunter, uh, who's Elastigirl, so she has the ability to stretch and and. Um, flatten and, and you know she's her body is elastic basically and so she and the two kids go to rescue Mr. Incredible who has been deceived and taken advantage of by um, the brilliant Jason Lee who voices um, Syndrome and in doing so you know it brings the family together they become a more cohesive family unit uh, you know the one of the main lessons here is that, uh, you know, Mr. Incredible, who wanted to do the best thing for his family, uh, ultimately did it without ever really talking to them about it. And that's kind of an issue. And, and you know, they, they start this path, down this path to become a little bit more open. And so when we pick up in the second movie, we are looking at a family, and we got a three-month time skip at the end of the first movie. So there's a little bit of time spent between... So, so you know, everyone's a little bit more practiced with their powers. Uh, you see that very early on in this movie with Violet specifically and the way she can use her force fields. But now they are working together and they are starting to really figure out a balance between being a family and being superheroes. 
and that's great and I am so, that's so exciting uh, you know that's kind of what you know, you wanted from the first movie where you get that amazing scene in the first movie where the four of them are on the island fighting together against Syndrome's you know henchmen and uh, you know Syndrome uses his zero point energy things and like he stops them short and it's like oh man you just want to see that you just want to see these guys working together like a family and like superheroes but but without having to distinguish the two and it's made very apparent early on in this movie that they're still trying to keep those two things sort of separate uh, when uh, you know the underminer is here and, and uh, Bob and Helen go off to attack him and, and defeat him uh, they tell the kids Violet and Dash one of you has to keep keep an eye on Jack Jack which is their third kid who's a baby and so you know it's it's there's still a little bit of little bit of conflict going on there as as they this family is not fully functional just yet you know they're 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 on the way to it but but they're not quite there yet as where we are now and nothing to me suggests that they would never be able to get to uh you know full um not cohesion but but um um, um, oh, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> to, to use a, a, a metaphor from the movie, it's from the first movie, when, um, Mr. Incredible's boss at the insurance company is talking about cogs in a, in a clock, like, that's, that's kind of what we're looking for, right? That's what we ultimately want. We want this family to be able to work like a well-oiled machine. Uh, you know, they should be able to balance being, husband and wife, mother and daughter, father and son, uh, as easily as they can um, fight crime. And this movie starts off by saying, look, it's it's not that simple, right? Like, no, it doesn't matter how powerful you are, it doesn't matter what your superpower is, uh, being a family and raising kids and sustaining a marriage and, uh, you know, going through adolescence and all the different things that all these this family, these, these characters in this family are going through, it's not, it doesn't matter what your power is, it's still difficult. It's still a trying time in your life at every stage. You know, Violet going through adolescence, Helen and Bob being parents, uh, dealing with both their marriage with each other, the relationship to their kids, and uh, the relationship with the world as superheroes and, and people with superpowers, because superheroes still aren't legal, right? We found that out in the beginning of the first movie, uh, that people were not so great, not not so happy about the the collateral damage being caused by all these superheroes, and that's a fair criticism. I I will I'll say that that's a fair criticism and one that um, you know has been addressed in the MCU with the Sokovia Accords. You know, it's how how important is it that we have superheroes if in the process of them saving the world, hundreds are dying, buildings are being destroyed, cities are being reduced to rubble. What, where does that line show up for us as not superheroes who say, look, like, I, I respect and appreciate your intentions, but if, if, if a thief is stealing money from a bank, the money is insured, let the cops find him. We don't need you to destroy the bank 
and the next building over and the next building over just to try and, and then maybe even not even catch this guy and or get the money back, you know, like what what does that help? Who does that help? And so it's an interesting argument and one that the movie kind of lays out simply because I think the first film did a good job of setting that situation up without ever trying to resolve it in the end of, by the end of the first movie. And so the second movie is taking on that mantle. It's saying, okay, we have this family. They are competent, qualified superhero people. And what is stopping them from going out and fighting crime together? The law. So let's work towards some sort of resolution with that conflict. And that is how we are introduced to Bob Odenkirk's character, Winston Dever, and Catherine Keener, Evelyn Dever, brother and sister, who run a company. And they are advocates for legalizing superheroes. That is the crux of the film. They are trying to bring back superheroes to the world at large. They want superheroes to be able to roam the streets freely, to prevent crime, to defeat evildoers, and save the world. Sure, uh, that's... I don't know, you know, like, we don't live in a world like that, so it's tough to say what side of that argument you'd be on. I think a lot of us would, would obviously want there to be superheroes, uh, but on the other hand, if, if, if they are causing as much destruction as, it's, as they supposedly are, if they are, you know, if more superheroes just breeds more supervillains, is it really worth it? I don't know, it's, it's a tough conversation to have and not one that I think the film tries to get into uh, for the most part. It does ultimately trend in that direction by the end of it um, through the villain, but um, early on it's just, well obviously we need superheroes and that's Bob's and Mr. Incredible's opinion from the, whole, from the onset, uh, which is um, interesting because he's not the one that's going to bring this change about. It's actually Elastigirl, Holly Hunter. Uh, you know, so Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener, Keener's character, the Devers, did some cost-benefit analysis and determined that Elastigirl is far less, <laughs> leaves, leaves a much smaller mess in her wake when she saves the day than Mr. Incredible does. And that's totally fair. Uh, she is not super strong and Super strength is pretty much uh, destructive, and you know it's very difficult to be uh, gentle and and take take your time and that sort of thing. We saw that in the first movie when he brought down the burning building. It's it, he he's obviously not the right choice to front the campaign, regardless of how the public viewed him back in the day as like the biggest superhero around, which is implied, if not sort of outright said. So the question is, is this movie unique enough? Does it take a big enough step away from the original? Is it capable of following in the original shoes? Does it really just uh, bring together this family in a way that feels natural, feels like a normal progression? What What's the circumstance? What's happening here? And it's fr from my money, it's a great continuation from the first movie. I watched them back-to-back -back in IMAX at, uh, at an AMC on Wednesday, and it was 
phenomenal. You know, it literally picks up right with the end of the first movie. It does all feel like one full encompassing film from start to finish of like four hours. And I think that's probably the best way to watch it, if I'm being honest. Uh, it's, It's truly remarkable for that. You know, it does the same thing that Last Jedi does. It picks up um, you even see the same final shots from the first movie, uh, from shown from different angles and with different effects and stuff. Fourteen year later, better special effects, which is really nice and, and <laughs> interesting to see. And it doesn't, and much like the first movie, everything t- that occurred felt like a natural progression. Uh, you know, obviously someone who wants to bring superheroes back is going to get in touch with these people. Obviously he wants to, they want, he, they, uh, Odenkirk and Keener's characters, obviously they want to put their best foot forward, which, you know, would be Elastigirl. And they want to bring superheroes back, which is what we want, because we want to see these this family fighting together out there, wearing their matching incredible suits. Uh, you know, we want them to be able to do that because in doing that it it kind of allows them to merge their family dynamic with their superpower dynamic and that's that's the goal that is the goal and so the last girl steps up she takes on the mantle of the superhero that's going to bring superheroes back to the light she is tasked with uh you know kind of just protecting people and saving the day and doing it with as little um, collateral damage as possible. Meanwhile, Mr. Incredible Bob Parr is left at home to manage the kids, to look after the baby, to, you know, help Dash with his homework, to help Violet with, deal with her adolescence, uh, and all this. And meanwhile, you know, kind of have, has to also, also kind of stew in the knowledge that he's not the one out there. And we know from the first movie, he 100% wants to be the person out there. You know, he says as much, you know, he sort of even rot snidely comments to his wife that you know he wishes it was him and not her and that's a brutal thing to say you know it's it's tough when you and your spouse or or you know you and a person you care about are in kind of the same business in the same profession and you know you you don't want to have to say like look I'm better at this than you or I think I'm better than this at you better at this than you and he kind of says that and that's a tough tough thing to say it's a tough thing to hear and uh to the film's credit you know it at time you know it ha- it's there's like two or three moments like this between um Bob and Helen and you know I think one of them is played for comedy comedic effect and I think it's to to the writing's credit and to you know the voice actor's credit that it never feels like a a, a barb, you know, when he says it. it. It feels very, you know, I trust you completely, and I know that you respect the way I feel about this. Uh, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, and you know, I I think the movie respects its characters enough to allow them that that privilege. So he's stuck at home. And while at home, if you saw uh, the sort of short film attached to the first Incredibles movie with, uh, oh, I can't remember the babysitter's name, but the babysitter and Jack-Jack, you know that Jack-Jack has powers. 
We don't really know the extent of them. We know that there's a wide swath of things he's able to do, uh, including floating through walls, including turning into a de devil, and you know he's able to change the composition of his body to metal, to fire. Um, um, which also happens at the very end with Syndrome as well, to a smaller degree. And so that happens, and, you know, the rest of the, most of the family starts to realize that. First it's Bob, and, you know, he has to put the baby down at one night, and he just keeps coming, keeps waking up, keeps waking up, doesn't want to go to sleep, and ultimately he realizes that Jack-Jack has powers, and that sparks its own sort of narrative thread. And much like the first movie, uh, with Mr. Incredible being removed from the rest of the family unit, this time Elastigirl being removed from the family unit, you kind of wait for these two separate stories to converge. And they do. They, they do kind of in a, and also in a similar fashion, you know. Helen and the kids go after Bob in the first movie. Bob and the kids go after Helen in the second movie. And this culminates in some fantastic moments, uh, both from a superhero perspective, from a family and drama perspective, from a comedic perspective, it, it's a lot of fun. We get to see the kids do a lot more on their own this time around, which I really appreciated. Uh, we are introduced to a whole swath of other superheroes that I loved. Um, none of them felt like we were just watching an, you know, an analogous MCU characters. Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, Dash never comes off like The Flash. Uh, Last Girl doesn't look like Mr. doesn't feel like Mr. Fantastic. Uh, you know, all these different comparisons, and, you know, I don't think there's any that really work in the same way. You know, and so you end up with this climax, this culminating finale where they have, the family, of course, has to sort of sort of save the world, but more importantly, save uh, people and protect a city, and they do it, you know, obviously they do it, they make it happen, and by the end of the movie, you have traveled with these characters, you have uh, evolved with them, They ha we have added more layers to them that, than were in the first movie by swapping the roles of Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible, by you know, further expanding upon the kids and their situation and their relationship as they get pushed more into the forefront of this story. We are introduced to um, Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener, who do get a, a decent amount to do in this movie. I think Keener's given a little bit more of, a, of more dimensions than Odenkirk's character is. And we get to see, you know, their relationship with the la loss of supers being in the world and how that's affected not just the supers themselves, but people who aren't super. People who uh, just are everyday citizens, quote, everyday citizens, but like really, really rich people who are friends with superheroes. And at the end of the day, uh, we know a lot more about this world. And we feel even closer to this family and, and their lives and what they want to do and how they want to live. And it's a good thing. And, and it's nice. And it's, in, it's incredibly, incredibly funny. And features one of the best super-powered action sequences ever, and it is a, it's and it's a sequence that really doesn't have anything to do with the greater narrative of the movie, which is hilarious. It's my favorite scene in the movie, um, 
and it it's just it's just a nice twist on what we did in the first movie without feeling too contrived without veering too far away from the source and without feeling repetitive uh it's it's just a very strong strong pixar film that comes in right where it needed to and is able to without having skipped ahead 14 years still comment on the state of superhero movies and the state of uh you know family so i i'm a big fan of this movie i do think it is a small step down from the original uh you know it obviously lacks the originality and as i mentioned it does take the same type of formula so it's not really breaking free it does good stuff with that formula but it is sort of a very similar formula uh Unlike the first film, I think the villain, while good, is not quite as well done uh, this time around. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot a lot of subtlety to this this villain, but I don't think he uh, they make as much of an impact uh, on on the on the family as Syndrome does, for what that's worth. Uh, we get to see Frozone. Frozone has a, a you know, plays a, a significant role in this movie, which I like. You know, he's kind of an unsung hero throughout this whole series, and it, he deserves his credit where it's due. Uh, Edna Mode is back. She is fantastic, voiced by the director and writer Brad Bird. She does a great job in this movie of, you know, being the same person we kind of expect her to be from the first one, but still, you know, still capable of showing us a different layer. And, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, I don't know if it'll ultimately end up that way by the end of the year, but, <coughs> excuse me, for now, I, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I really enjoyed this sequel quite a bit. Uh, so, on Letterboxd, I gave the first Incredibles a four and a half. I give this one a four. Like I said, a small step down, still a great film. Uh, currently gets an 86 on my spreadsheet, uh, which makes it my second favorite movie of the year right now, and puts it on par with the with um, Brigsby Bear from last year and John Wick Chapter Two from last year. puts it just behind Call Me by Your Name, just ahead of Thoroughbreds. So, really good spot for me. Um, it was a great, great movie. Great experience. The crowd was so into it. Uh, loved seeing it in the theater and in IMAX. Such a fantastic uh, uh, movie. So I'm all in on Incredibles. If there's ever a three, which there's still room for that, uh, I would love to see it. Uh, I don't need it to happen anytime soon if it's another 14 years from now. As long as the full original cast is still alive, that seems fine. Uh, maybe 14 years might be a little too long to wait, but I think that definitely based on like how much buzz these movie this movie has and how crazy the pre-sales and like Fandango setting records for The Incredibles, uh, clearly the need and want is there. And uh, if Brad Bird can make another, come up with a good sequel, I'm I'm all in for it. I'm all in. Um, finally, before we jump into a little bit of spoilers, I think. A little bit of a spoiler section I want to do. Uh, I'm going to outline the um, Circle of Film Award nominee nominations it's currently working looking at. 
Uh, so Best Picture, Best Director for Brad Bird, uh, Best Lead Performance from Helen Hunt, or, or Holly Hunter, not Helen Hunt, uh, Best Supporting Performance from Catherine Keener, Best Screenplay for Brad Bird, Best Song. Uh, so Best Original Song, in the credits, I think it's listed as uh, theme song, colon, Mr. Incredible, Elastico, Frozone. It plays in the during the end credits. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Best score for Michael Giacchino. Having watched the first movie back-to-back with this, I do think Giacchino's, Giacchino's score is better in the original, but it's still quite, quite good in this movie as well. Uh, special effects, the animation. I mean, it's Pixar, so it looks impeccable. Um... And you can, having watched the first one, you can really see a huge step up between the first the first movie and this one after all these years. Uh, in addition, the editing is great. You know, as I mentioned, we're bouncing back and forth between uh, the two character, uh, the two storylines of Supergirl and then not Supergirl, Elastigirl and Mister Incredible and the Family. So, like, the editing is well done as well. And cinematography looks great for, uh, you know, as an animated movie and just showing these fight scenes, these big sweeping fight scenes and uh, even the close quarters ones and, and giving everyone their moment to shine and looking at it, uh, especially the villain who is called the screen slaver who uh, uses um, screens to kind of hypnotize people, uh, everything involving like his lair and all that kind of stuff, loved it, it, it was great. And finally, a nomination for Best Scene. Uh, this is the one I alluded to. Um, kind of saying the name is like sort of giving away what it is and, and a little bit of a spoiler. Not Again, not that it really impacts the overall movie, but I'll just say it involves um, a raccoon. So it involves a raccoon. If you've seen the movie, then you know exactly what I mean. That's it. So that's nine nominations that moves moves Incredibles two into the second most nominations uh, of the year, behind Black Panther, beating out A Quiet Place, which is at seven right now, uh, followed by Annihilation and The Tale, which are at six. Yeah, I, I had a great time watching this. Um, I may even go see it again since I saw it in IMAX. I didn't use Movie Pass, so I still have my Movie Pass viewing of it if I want. We'll see. Uh, there's still a lot of stuff out in theaters that I'm, I've got to catch up on after being out of the country. So, but I, mean, I expect Incredibles 2 to be in theaters for like two, three, four, and five months. Maybe not five months, but like two or three months probably at the very least. So I got time. Uh, yeah, Incredibles 2. I loved it. And that's it. We're going to move into spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, you can stop now. If uh, Otherwise... You know, keep listening. Um, thank you for listening this far. If you are going to cut out, appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can do so. Circleoffilm at gmail.com or on Twitter at Circleoffilm. If you want to check out the website, circleoffilm.com, you can take a look at this year's current Circle of Film Awards situation as well as find all the old episodes. And if you would like to support the show, you can do so for as little as eight cents an episode uh, over at patreon.com slash circleoffilm. And now... Spoilers. Any path, so many worth exploring. Just one would be so boring. And look what you're ignoring. I don't have a ton I want to get into with spoilers. Uh, I, I just want to kind of harp a little harp a little bit more on Catherine Keener, who 
whether or not the villain, her her as the villain was really that well um, fleshed out in the film, I do think her voice performance was fantastic as Evelyn Dever. Uh, she is the woman behind um, the Screenslaver, which admittedly I, I was onto from the very beginning. There was, like, from the very beginning, I suspected that Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener's Devers characters uh, were behind the Screenslaver or whoever it was that was creating these situations for Last Girl to stop. You know, like, that's the point. Like, they want her to be able to stop things from happening, so they create the things to happen so that she can stop them. That I saw through from the beginning. Um, and then there's a line that Keener has where, you know, she says, I'm just the genius behind the genius. That was obviously okay so you're obvious you know you, it makes sense it, it's straightforward that said uh the movie tries to do a little bit more with her than that um by making by giving her and um her brother this sort of very different uh, outlook on the situation that happened with their parents and ultimately the the death of their father and subsequent death of her their mother and I wish the movie had given us another scene between the two of them to really try to, like, fight about that or, or put them in a, in a, in a room with, uh, with Elastigirl to really argue about that thing between each other. I would have liked that, uh, but it's not really what happens. Ultimately, we just see Catherine Keener frustrated that people are willing to rely on superheroes more than literally anything else, including themselves. And that's a that's a worthy point to make, and that's something that the movie doesn't do enough to dive into, and maybe they could do that in a third film. But I think... Because, I, I don't know, I think I see a great trajectory for the third film where, what, regardless of how much time passes, probably you need a couple months or, or years or something, but in the third film you could really see, look, superheroes are back, and... and it's not the best, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, normal average people get complacent, and I think it would be fitting if by the end of, if this ever becomes a trilogy, that the end of the trilogy is, look, we're a family, we have these superpowers, but we're not out on the streets every night trying to f save everybody, because we can't, we have our own lives to do, kind of thing. So, I don't know what's ultimately going to happen in that sense. I like the direction they took the character. I just don't think they followed through completely. Um, that's one of the points I knock against it because I think Syndrome uh, does carry a lot more weight with him. Uh, he's able, you know, we get to see him early on in the film and, and as a kid in the first movie and his progression in that film feels far more organic and uh, ultimately makes more sense to me, to me. Uh, outside of that, uh, I loved Sophia Bush as Void, and, and like all these other superheroes that are brought into the forefront, Void's powers, which is basically portals, uh, is is ph phenomenal. Her scene with uh, Elastigirl trying to get onto the air uh, to the jet, I guess it is, onto like the air airplane to escape. I love that scene; it was great. Um, all the scenes with the kids fighting these superheroes and everybody just fighting against each other. So well done. So beautiful. The choreography was fantastic. Jack-Jack versus the raccoon, the raccoon. It's amazing. What a scene. This this baby who has no control over, their, over his powers fighting a raccoon who just wanted to steal some trash. And it gets so far more epic than it had any right to be. 
Uh, Edna Mode as a babysitter, I thought that was fan. I, I love that side of her, and you know, the 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 rival, not rivalry, but like jealousy and anger that she showed having somebody else design a last girl suit. I really enjoyed that too. A last girl's uh, elasticycle was amazing. The scene where she's on the elasticycle and stretching her own body out to like maneuver the cycle through the sub through tunnels and around a train and all those stuff. I love that. I thought that was so cool. That's like my second favorite scene in the movie. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I'm really a big fan. I like it a lot. It was so much fun. Um, we don't even know what happened to the Underminer. He just gets away and we never see him again. He has to be the third movie's villain, right? At this point? John Ratzenberger, please. Um, I liked that the movie didn't try to, like, one-up the where's my super suit scene. We just get one moment between uh, Frozone and Honey where he's off to uh, help the kids who are in trouble. And she's just like, she's like, you better not take that super suit. And that's it. You know, it's not trying to be a better moment. It's not trying to be more iconic. And I think if they had tried that, it wouldn't have worked. And it would have felt, you know, icky to try to do that. Because it was so well done in the first movie. It didn't, it couldn't be topped. Couldn't be topped. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just, it's a lot of fun. And I'm trying to think. I don't know what else spoilery I have to talk about uh, that's it that's it cool alright so that's it uh, I mostly just wanted to highlight the Catherine Keener villain aspect of things I think she again I think her voice talent or her voice performance was very very strong but the character was not quite as well written as uh, by comparison so I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, I'm my favorite to win Best Animated Feature this year. Uh, I, I think... I don't know what's going to beat it. I, I don't know if anything can. Uh, it's not... Let me see. As I compare it to Coco, I think Coco's a little bit better of a movie overall. I gave it an 88 last year. I gave Incredibles 2 an 86 at this point. So I do have that a little bit higher. But uh, I do... I had more fun watching Incredibles 2, but I think Coco uh, tells a little bit better of a story, personally. So, Incredibles 2. It's my review. Spoilers, all the whole nine. And uh, I hope you got and see it. Uh, I'm probably going to go see it a second time if I can get the time, find the time to do so. And, uh, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad we finally got it. Took us 14 years, but we made it, and it was worth it. It's totally worth it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and listening to the spoiler section. And uh, as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be saying goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she 